Welcome to Chapels from Rosedale Bible College. Thanks for joining our community for weekly chapels recorded on our campus in Rosedale, Ohio. We hope you are challenged and inspired by what you hear. Enjoy. good to be together again this morning. I, I hope that, am I a problem? Uh, I hope that you, uh, <laughs> I hope you aren't too uh, stressed with the, the call of finals coming up to be able to relax a bit, sit, and I invite God to speak to your heart this morning. So today I'd like to do something just a little bit different, and that is just tell a story some of you may be familiar with it. It's a story that I shared on a podcast with Jewel here a number of months ago. And then I'd like to read a section of Scripture and invite God to speak to us uh, through that Scripture uh, in relation to the story. And uh, whatever God wants to do, then we'll do. So here's the story and maybe just a little bit of a setup for it. A number of years ago, the general, then General Secretary of the Tanzanian Mennonite Church stopped by Rosedale one day, randomly, and uh, just wanted to know if he could visit. His name was John, and so he came into my office, and we sat down, and he began to tell me what was going on in the Tanzanian Mennonite Church. And by the way, did you know Africa has uh, more, I believe this is true, Jewel, you can fact check me, more Mennonites live in Africa than in North America. That's correct, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so that's really interesting. Um, but anyway, the Tanzania Mennonite Church, God is doing a really neat thing in the church. And John said, Jeremy, we have a vision to reach a million people with the gospel of Jesus by 2034, which would be their 100th anniversary of the church in Tanzania. And, uh, you know, internally, I thought, I sat there and I thought, huh. <laughs> I try not to let my face show anything, but sometimes when I hear those things, I'm, you know, there's a little red flag of skepticism wondering, is this guy for real? Because I didn't know him, and I didn't know if what he said was real. And uh, so he went on to talk about how many people had been coming to the Lord over the last year and how many churches they had been planting. And I thought, oh, this is real. They're praying for this, and they're moving toward this. And then he said, Jeremy, would, uh, but the thing is, we have so many new churches who need new pastors, and they're not trained, would there be some way to partner with RBC to help train pastors who will then go back and help train new pastors in Tanzania? And I thought, well, this sounds exciting. And so we put it out to churches that we're connected with and invited them to sponsor um, people to come over here and get training so they can go back to Tanzania. And this is why Gideon is here with us this year. Uh, it's all some of you knew Daniel McGarra from uh, the last couple of years. In fact, I think he's going to be showing up on campus today. But uh, Daniel was one of those students from Tanzania as well, uh, who's finishing an education here in the States and then goes planning to go back. And he's passionate about equipping other people uh, to serve in the church in Tanzania. Well, anyway, out of that, I went over to Tanzania last spring, well, actually last summer, is late, late May, early June, to spend a, a couple of days in Tanzania, and went over there with Micah Mullet, who happened to graduate last year, and so we had a good time over there, but while we were over there, 
we saw a number of things, and one of the things we saw, one of the things I noticed is that in the Tanzanian church, the Tanzanian Mennonite church, they have Friday night delivery services. Almost all of them have these deliverance services on Friday night. And I thought, well, that's interesting, because uh, I don't know that we've ever had a deliverance service in all the years of me growing up in a little church out in Kansas, and then in the years that I pastored a church in Ohio, we didn't have deliverance services, and I was kind of wondering, well, I was asking John, what happens at these deliverance services? I was like, well, we pray for people to get healed, and we cast out demons, and I thought, well, that's interesting, because that's not part of the normal routine in the churches that I've been a part of here in the United States, and I wonder if you're using different words to describe like things that I would, I would be more familiar with, you know, that kind of thing. Like maybe they just describe things differently. They use the word deliverance in a way that I would use a different word here in the United States. Uh, so I didn't quite know what all was going on there. And while I was there then, uh, at one point, I was doing some training with a number of pastors. And after the training, one of the pastors said he would like prayer because he was going out to help plant a church after this training which was also uh, an interesting concept to me. Uh, in the United States, planting a church typically takes a lot of forethought and a lot of work and a lot of effort. And uh, he just seemed to think that that was something you do on a you know, Thursday afternoon. So uh, after this prayer time, John looks at me and he's like, Jeremy, you want to go help plant a church today? I thought, okay, well, that sounds cool, like something fun to do while I'm in Tanzania. And then he said, also, there's a lot of demonic activity. You will see what I'm talking about. I thought, okay. Uh, he's, he mentioned that this village just had a, a lot of uh, demonic activity. So rode a 45-minute bumpy trip out to some village in Tanzania and got to the village, and uh, there's this group of evangelists, men and women, who are there. And when we pull up, they've got these giant speakers sitting underneath a shade tree with a power cord running to the local bar. The bar had agreed to provide them power for their speakers. And the music was just like pumping, and you could hear it all throughout the village. And there were people kind of standing in their doorways or sitting out under trees probably 100 or 150 yards off, just kind of watching what was going on with this group of people who was singing praise songs in Swahili, so I didn't understand what was going on. And so, the, the, I mean, but, but they were inviting a crowd, and there were some children and some ladies that came over initially, and the men around the bar were not paying a lot of attention. They were sitting, sitting at tables outside, and so <clears throat> this whole thing was going on, and so we sat down to watch uh, this, you know, whatever was happening, happen. And as they're worshiping, I look over, and there's a lady that just falls over, which I thought was strange. And I, so I'm watching her, but nobody does anything. She just lays on the ground still. And then pretty, well, pretty soon... Um, some other ladies come and they tie up her ankles, you know, with something. I don't remember what it was. And so I turned to John and I said, John, what's with the lady who's on the ground? And he looks at me and he's like, oh, she could not handle the power of God. Okay. And, you know, but it wasn't a big deal. And uh, I said, well, what's with, you know, they're, 
there tying her ankles together. She was wearing a dress. And he looks at me, he's like, modesty. Okay. And then the music goes on with this lady just laying there with her ankles tied together. And, you know, uh, <laughs> I guess this is par for the course. So we, uh, we continue on, and then after a few songs, some of the evangelists go over, and they pick the lady up by her arms and her legs and bring her over uh, where they had been worshiping. And they begin to pray like crazy over this lady. And after a bit, uh, after some time of prayer, uh, the lady sort of sits up as if she'd been in a trance and kind of wakes up, and they untie her ankles, and she sort of walks back to where she had been standing, and the music continues. And uh, this goes on, and then pretty soon one of the evangelists got up to preach, and he preached for a while, and after he was done preaching, he invited all who would like prayer for healing, for deliverance of, from evil spirits to come up for prayer. And at that point, there were people that just began to walk uh, toward us from all over. And there had been a good crowd that had just been collecting, and there were lots of people lined up for prayer. And most of them were women and children and, and young men and women, not very many uh, men or older men. And uh, I remember as uh, we had been traveling there, I had asked the Lord, I said, Lord, listen, <laughs> I don't, you know, I'm unfamiliar with some of this stuff. As a pastor, I'd encountered some demonic activity, uh, but not on the scale of what it, uh, it appeared as if um, most of my brothers in Tanzania were accustomed to dealing with. And I just asked the Lord, I, I don't, I just want it to be real. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to walk away thinking, ah, you know, this is a bunch of poppycock and hogwash and, uh, that, you know, that kind of thing. I'd like, I'd like some, I'd like to know that what's happening is, is of you and, uh, and genuine. And so anyway, as these people have came up for prayer, it, it was really an amazing sight. Uh, there were a number of evangelists, and of course, Jan, John and Daniel uh, McGuire were both with me, or with us, and because there were so many people, they both got up to pray right away. There were just too many people to handle. And as they begin to pray, begin to hear shrieks. Um, and just powerful things <laughs> begin to happen. In fact, uh, there were some, there were, I don't know, maybe three or four very violent encounters where uh, several ladies that were getting prayed for became really violent. And when that happened, the evangelists, a group of them, would gather around these violent ladies, and there was a little uh, building off to the side, and they would haul these violent ladies into the building and then come back and pray for, for everybody else. And I wondered, well, what goes on in the building? You know, because this is all in Swahili, so I, I don't know what's happening. But I just knew that people that got violent got taken to the building and left there, and then the others would come back, uh, and they would begin to pray for, uh, for other people again. Uh, but you, uh, you could see uh, when evangelists would come and they would begin to pray and they'd lay hands on people, the, 
there would, so many would just uh, fall to the ground sh- with shrieks, and uh, they would pray, and some would writhe. Um, and in particular, I was sitting uh, on a, a little plastic chair off to the side, and there was a young man, I'm guessing in his early 20s, who stood, was standing right beside me, and one of the evangelists came and just laid hands on him, and I don't even know if he said anything, but the young man fell to the ground and lay perfectly still, just did not move. And then the evangelist, instead of continuing to pray for him, just moved on and left him there, which was different than usually they kept praying for people uh, and, until they were brought about. Uh, but this young man, they left. And other evangelists, as they kind of kept working through the crowd, uh, would see him and then walk off. And at one point, I wondered if the man was alive, because I could not see him move, even his stomach or his back, nothing. The only time he would move is when an evangelist was praying with somebody who was uh, close to him, and the young man would begin to sort of like arch away from whatever was happening there, which is really interesting. And, <clears throat> but nobody prayed for him. Well, anyway, this, this whole scenario went on for a long time because there's so many people to pray for. And several people would come back and get prayed for several times over until they were delivered. This went on uh, until finally John worked his way back and came to the young man. And he knelt down beside the young man. And when he put his hand on the young man, uh, this young man who'd just been laying really still, the first thing he did, he was just on his back and he goes, he, he put his hands up like that. And John, of course, commanded this to be broken in the name of Jesus. He was doing this Swahili and so the, the, the guy would just, you know, go limp. And then John would begin to pray and his hands would come up like this and, and John would say something in Swahili and the the man's arms would go limp again. And pretty soon, uh, the man began to writhe, and there was foam coming out of his mouth. And I, I mean, he's right at my feet, and I'm watching this happen, and he's foaming from the mouth, and he's writhing, and John calls somebody else to come sit on his legs while he prays so that, so that he's, you know, not, you know, he doesn't get away or whatever. I don't know what happens. Uh, but they pray, and they pray, and they pray, and pretty soon I think to myself, well, you know, I'm capable of praying uh, if it's in English. And so I join in in prayer. And, I, I, you know, in my mind, this is something that should be taken care of pretty quickly. But it wasn't. It kept going and going and going. And finally, this young man stands up and John asks him two questions in Swahili. Again, and John told me afterwards what he asked. But the first question was, he said... Uh, how are you feeling? And the young man, who kind of staggered to his feet a bit, didn't look at him, but he, he said something in Swahili indicating that he was fine. And then John said, where are you? And the young man looks at him and says, I'm in the ocean, the seventh ocean with the snakes. And immediately John puts his hand on him. The guy just falls down and the whole process <laughs> begins again. And this went on for, it seemed like a really long time. Afterwards, I was exhausted, 
And, and I said to Daniel, I said, Daniel, that was intense. Or I said to John or Daniel, somebody, I said, that was intense. And they looked at me and they go, oh, that was nothing. <laughs> we have prayed for people many hours. This was easy work. <laughs> okay. Well, that's really interesting. Uh, finally, this young man stands up, and you could tell a visible difference. There was a very different look in his eye. Uh, something obviously had happened. And again, this is all in Swahili, and so I'm struggling to pay attention, or struggling to know what, what was happening. And it was, it was clear that God was at work in really powerful ways there, freeing people in really unique ways. I asked later, I said, John, what's going on with that, like that hut over there <laughs> that you kept taking the really bad ones to? And he said, oh, the hut, well, they have had believers in there praying and fasting all day. And so the really difficult ones, we just take there. <laughs> and so uh, they were prepared to handle the very difficult cases. We left that place on a Thursday and flew home uh, on Friday, got home on Saturday. On Sunday, I got a text from John saying, Jeremy, just wanted you to know, uh, we baptized 64 people in that village this morning and started a new church. I thought, how amazing. Uh, God was on the move there. Rewind back to Thursday after we left, we had a meeting. I had a meeting with some pastors who had spent time in the United States and spent time in Tanzania. They were Tanzanian pastors, but they'd spent time in the United States. And I asked them the question that probably some of you are asking yourself internally right now, which was, hey, what's the deal? Like, that experience has not been my experience in the United States. Why is that? Like, what, what is it? You've spent time in the United States with the American church, the North American church, and you've spent time with the Tanzanian church. What's, what's going on with that? And it, they did not hesitate. It was an easy answer for them. And they said, well, here's the deal. In Africa, we, we have a much greater need for God. And uh, so we seek him out uh, much more. And we're much more in tune with the spiritual world. And when people need things, they can't just go to the doctor, many of them. Or they, they can't just make food appear. And so if they need something, they may go to the witch doctor if they don't know Jesus. And part of the deliverance process is breaking the agreements that people have made with demon, demons and demonic activity to get the things they need. So, for instance, if your daughter is sick, you'll go to the witch doctor and you'll make an agreement with a demon. Look, I'll give you my life if you'll make sure my daughter gets well. Or I'll, I'll give you control of my body and my being if you can make sure that our family has food. And so they'll make these agreements with demons to get the things that they need, things that we would find very, usually very easy to acquire here in the United States. And so there's all of these people who've made agreements with demons to get the things they need. He said, in the United States, you, you, know, you don't need that. But he said, 
The demons don't need to inhabit people in your country. They just distract you from God altogether. I thought that I, I think that resonates. When I was in Africa, I watched pastors, um, if their friends had a need or if they had a need, it was nothing for them to fast a day or two days. <laughs> it was nothing for them to pray for hours at a time for the things that they saw and things that they saw God doing. They were dialed in in, in really unique ways. We live in a distracted age. I'm convinced there is demonic possession and activity in the United States, but the word of those pastors rings true for me. The demons don't need to inhabit us to keep us from God. They just simply need to distract us. They just work at making us not care about the things of God, about finding other things that we would rather be doing. I'd like to read a parable that Jesus gave us from Matthew chapter 13. And uh, it's probably a very familiar parable to most of you. And so we'll read the parable, and then a little bit later, Jesus gives us the explanation of the parable. But could you stand with me as we read from the scriptures this parable that Jesus gave a crowd in his day and now gives to us. Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of, depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them out. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. And then Jesus came a little bit later, and he said, it tells us the meaning of this parable, and here's the meaning. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. Uh, excuse me, I started reading the wrong explanation here. Here we go. Let's rewind. Here then, the parable of the sower. 
When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path, right? So the seed was sown on the path. By the way, I had a pastor explain this to me. He said, Jeremy, maybe one possible explanation for that seed on the path that doesn't take root is in the New Testament, the paths wound through fields and the paths were made by the feet of people walking on fertile ground. Could it be that sometimes it's really difficult for people to receive the good news of the kingdom when their hearts have been tread on by so many people? That the things of God just don't resonate. And those seeds never take root. Perhaps some of you feel like that this morning. Like there's so much more in Jesus, but you've been hurt in so many ways that it's hard to receive those things. I want you to know that Jesus wants to soften your heart and I pray that your time in a community like this will help with that as you experience the love of people around you and of Christ through them. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up and since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. You all will face difficulty. And I'm convinced. Ostracization for your faith. Perhaps more in the coming years than we've experienced in the past. And if you have no roots, no depth of faith, little understanding of Jesus, little connection with Jesus, you'll be like this plant that withers away when the difficulties come. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them out. And then other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You may be seated. Jesus says in the next passage, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world... And the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. It's that third seed that troubles me most right now. And frankly, just full disclosure, is the thing that the Lord has been um, working on my own heart about over the last number of months. 
As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word. The cares of the world. Did you know the average iPhone user touches their phone 2,617 times a day? At least that's the report. In contemporary American culture, the average worker works four more weeks a year than people did in 1979. I was discussing with somebody recently that those little red notification dots on my phone uh, drive me nuts. I picked up my dad's phone and I looked at his emails and he had like in that bloody red bubble, it's like 2,000 unchecked emails. And I wondered how he lived. Like seeing that produced all kinds of anxiety in me. <laughs> you know, I have one of those and I think, okay, that needs to be checked. We live in a distracted age. And we live with a desire for wealth. Some of you have heard me say this before, but your generation, which, by the way, I really love. <laughs> I really do. It, you, have, you have some amazing gifts, callings, and proclivities. But your generation feels the weight of economic success in a way that the previous one didn't. So they managed to dig themselves giant holes of debt because they just didn't care. <laughs> That's not so true for y'all. But the flip side is that you feel an unbelievable amount of pressure and anxiety and concern. And you watch TikTok videos and YouTube videos of people who've made it big and can tell you how to retire by the time you're 30 if you just follow like this series of steps and make these kinds of investments and do these particular business models. You know, you've got all that information at the tip of your, your fingers. You know what it's about, many of you. And your parents are nervous for you. Some of them are nervous that you're at RBC because what does that mean for your future? Will you be able to get a job? In fact, we measure learning by the ability to produce economically. And I'm telling you, Jesus comes along and says, hey, seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added to you. Do you believe this? Do you believe that? And I look and I ask, why is it that 80% of all single missionaries headed out to the field overseas or across culturally right now, 80% are women? I mean, go women. That's awesome. <laughs> but where are the men? Is our focus on economic security depriving us of obedience to Jesus? getting in the way of obedience to Jesus, the thorns growing up in our lives, the thorns of distraction, the thorns of economic anxiety, needing to get what's ours so we're able to have the things we want. Are we seeking first the kingdom of God? 
It used to be that many of our young men and many of our young women gave a year or two of their lives to serving in ministries or in missions or pursuing the things of God, spending time at a Bible college. And now many don't have time because we're afraid of falling behind. What about Jesus? Do we believe the things he said? And by the way, I find it interesting. I'm, so part of my role is to travel around and invite people to invest in you all, right, monetarily. What I find really fascinating is that many of the people who give the largest chunks of money to RBC are people that have spent time serving in various places around the world. Not, not promising anything, by the way. I'm just saying, God takes care of his people. You do what you're supposed to do and do it without anxiety. Rest in Jesus. If your economic cares, if your lives of distraction are the first things in your lives, Jesus won't be. The seed of the gospel gets choked out of our lives and the demons are doing their job. So this morning, <clears throat> I want to call you to a deeper trust in Christ. I know it's the end of the semester. I know you've got finals coming up. And those things breed an anxiety in you or can. Jesus says this in a page just before. He says, this is to his people. Come to me, all who are who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to give you that scripture this morning and encourage you, encourage you in the way of Christ not to let the fear of, of missing out, not to allow the, the incessant bombardment of, of things and activities and people and to-dos to, to separate you from the Jesus who loves you. I want to invite you this morning to again spend time with Jesus, to make him first, to trust him with everything. Can we do that as we head into the end of this semester? I want you to do well in your finals, but those finals don't define you. I want you to do well in being able to provide for your family. But don't strive for that from a place of fear and insecurity. Strive for that from a place of loving relationship with Jesus himself who is our provider. Can we do that? I'd like to pray this morning. And um, take just a moment. Uh, I'll tell you what, is there somebody here who can just like play some pretty music on the piano as we just pause for a few moments with Jesus together?
don't be bashful. Just like, you know, like a good little ditty, doodle. Not ditty. I don't want it fast. Just something nice that allows our hearts to rest with Jesus. Elena, are you, are you up for that? Thank you. That will be a gift to the rest of us as we pray. Why don't we, um, let's bow our heads as Elena just plays a bit. And, um, and let's be before Jesus. And I invite you just to rest in him. You may not even say anything, but let's clear our minds of distraction and come before the king, bowing our hearts before him. Let's pray together. Jesus, we're yours. And here we are. Would you have us? Just staying in a spirit of prayer, I invite you to stand. And I want to pray one more prayer. Uh, if there's any of you that in some small way just want to acknowledge and confess, maybe even as a sign of repentance for um, an acknowledgement of the, the distracted way in which you've lived, acknowledging that, and also just saying to Jesus, I want you, I want to, you to be the focus again of my life. And you just want to acknowledge that this morning, and you felt that prompting of God's Spirit in a particular way. Um, if that's you, in just a moment, I'd just like you to raise your hand and then invite those around you, uh, if you're comfortable with this, just to gently place uh, a hand on your shoulder as we lift each other up to Jesus in these moments. So uh, if that's you, would you just raise your hand? And if you're around somebody with a raised hand, and if you're next to somebody and you're both raising your hand, just place your hands on shoulders as we lift each other to Jesus in this moment. Father, we come to you. And you see the acknowledgement, the confession of our hearts that we have lived with far too much distraction and the thorns have grown up and uh, those things choke out your word and choke out the work of your spirit. And these students are acknowledging that and inviting you, Lord, inviting you to, to reclaim your place as the king, as the, the one in whom their whole life is found, the one in whom all of their trust is placed. So we do that together. We just give you our hearts again this morning. Have your way in us. I pray against the spirit of this age, the spirit of distraction. God, would you, would you protect our students as they take finals, as they go home, as they're invited into more distraction? And I pray for, in the coming months, practical steps to eliminate hurry and distraction and, and the, the, the thirst for wealth 
God, I, I pray for tangible steps moving forward. But in this moment, I pray that you would guard that, that tenderness, that heart that's yearning for you. Bless this crew, God. Bless them in their finals. And I pray they could live with a peacefulness in it and a trust in you. Doing the hard work, but also trusting you. Bless them in that, Father. We're yours. It's so good to be your children. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. May you go in peace. Thanks for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please share so others can benefit from it as well. And be sure to check out our other podcasts at rosedale.edu slash podcasts.